All right, today we're continuing in our Partnership of the Heart series. And uh, this week we're talking about what it means to be a follower. We want to be a following church. I wonder what you think about this. If I was to say to you, no one has the right to tell me what to do. Would you say that's true or false? Don't answer me. Just think about it. No one has the right to tell me what to do. Perhaps the highest value of our society is the freedom to follow your heart. Freedom can only be found by being true to yourself. That's a belief. And actually, what we believe about who we are and the meaning of our lives, the moral standards that we set, are now based on how I feel. That is a gold standard, standard of living in a secular city like ours. So, of course, no one is allowed to try and impose their truth on my truth. It declares the only way to find meaning in life is to have the freedom to find your own meaning. But if you analyze that number one rule for life for just a moment, you will find that our friends and our families who have adopted this are not stood on solid foundations for their lives to be built on. You'll discover that it's crumbly, it's confused, it's contradictory. It applies a universal truth, a truth for, for everyone, to say that you can't have any universal truths. It says, believe what you want, just don't try to persuade people of what you believe, you fundamentalist, you cult member. That's not to mention that it denies any possibility of finding meaning in life through me. It has to be found through me. That is a lot of pressure. I don't want that pressure. No, thank you. I don't know enough. One thing, first thing I want us to say and realize is that all of us are followers, whether we think we are or not. It's actually not possible to think and find meaning in isolation. No matter how independent we think our thinking is, we are all influenced and led in life by what is and has been speaking into our lives from the influences around us. We are followers. I remember Lindsay and I, we thought we were so original when we started to think about baby names. No one will ever come up with these names. They're amazing. They're so unique. Half our friends have those names now. For their children. No, our friends don't. That would be weird. Our friends' children have those names. And uh, actually, there's, there's, there was two of them, okay? And I'm not going to say which kids, but there's kids in this church who have those names. Okay? And, and they're not our children. So... We think we're so unique. We think we are thinking independently when we're not. That's why the teenager, like this group of goths that are going to come up behind me, looking to discover their true selves, find themselves getting tickets to the gig they've always wanted to go to, for at least the last two months anyway, and they discover the most incredible thing. There are thousands and thousands of other people in their city their age, 
who are singing the songs that just get them as well. And there seems to be some kind of dress code as they look around. They all seem to just know what to wear. And that's because our thinking is not as independent as we think it is. We all, all follow some things and some ones who are going somewhere. We should make the effort to know who and what we are following and where it is taking us. The way the Bible describes this is through the language of slavery. Not only are we led, but we are mastered. We were once enslaved to the master of sin and the ways of the world, but for followers of Jesus, who have given their lives to him, we are no longer slaves to sin, but we do remain slaves forever. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Only, praise God, we find in that this new slavery is actually the most freeing place on the planet because we discover something of true meaning. A meaning that is not determined by us, but is determined by God, the maker of the heavens and the earth. This new life of slavery to Christ is the most liberating and freeing experience you can ever have. Because Jesus has given us a new nature, one of Christ's righteousness and not Adam's sin. Hallelujah. Freed from our attempts at independent thinking and finding meaning on, on our own into the joy of knowing a Savior who knows what's best for us, one who has all the knowledge and all the power and all the glory and has set for us a life, a way of living that is righteous and good and free. We are all followers but Jesus is the only one who will lead us to true freedom. And that's where it all must begin. If we're going to be talking about what it means to be a following church, every single one of us responding to Jesus' words, which are given to anyone who would want to be his disciples, come, follow me. Can we just think for a moment of how freeing that is? We don't need to follow ourselves and our own ideas. We don't need to work it all out. We don't need to have every answer. We just need to follow Jesus. And, you know, at the heart of what we want to be as a church is a community of disciple makers, of people who lead and follow one another towards Jesus. So out of this group of followers, God is calling leaders. That's what he's always done. He's continuing to do it. He takes leaders from the people that are following him faithfully. Think of it. Abraham, Moses, Isaac, Jacob, Gideon, Deborah, Joshua, Saul, David, Isaac, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, John the Baptist, 
It was a practice of the early church. We see that in the disciples, the apostles. We see it in the elders who were appointed and the deacons appointed too. We see that God is in the practice and the habit of identifying from among us followers who are to lead. But right now, trusting leaders seems harder than ever. And trust is the link in the chain that will unite or divide leaders and followers. Not only are politicians, uh, politicians and business leaders harder to trust today than ever before, I, I don't need to get into politics right now, do I? We all know the picture there. And sadly, that has often been the case for church leaders as well. We need to be honest with that. There are far too many examples of church leaders with great big gifts who have then gone and let us down. But the Bible has always said that there are good leaders and there are bad leaders. There are the Romans 16, 17 leaders who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. That doesn't just mean theology, that means practice, the way they live. And we are called in Romans 16 to avoid those kind of leaders. But there are good leaders as well. And the Bible says that we are to honor them and even to submit to them. So what I'd love us to do is turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. It says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. We need leaders we can trust. And here in this passage, we see leaders that we, the kind of leader that we can trust. And so we want to be the type of church that is both leading, having leaders lead in that way, and also raising up other leaders who lead in that way. And the first thing I want to say about this is that you can see that it's supposed to be relational, it's supposed to be in relationship and not position. We need leaders who lead relationally. Leaders can't care or watch over people, verse 2, if they don't have any relationship with them. Disconnected discipleship or online discipleship is an oxymoron. It doesn't work. Disconnected discipleship leaves us in a place where we don't really know one another and if we don't really know one another, how are we supposed to build communities of disciples who make disciples that can only be done in relationship? One relationship at a time. And that's actually a bigger prayer request for us right now as a church. As we increase in number, we need to keep increasing in maturity 
so that we see an increasing number of people who are being relational, increasing their relational capacity to make disciples. Second thing I want us to see is that we are looking for leaders who are full of conviction and not doing this under compulsion. Verse 2, not because you must, but because you're willing, eager to serve. We need leaders who sense a conviction from God to lead his people towards him, not people who are just doing it because no one else will. And actually all leaders, but particularly elders, need the conviction to be shepherd-like, to protect people. And primarily, that is used in the Bible to describe what it means to protect people from false teaching and to faithfully lead the church in the gospel. Now, the whole idea of that in this day and age is like, what? What are you talking about? There's no chance that that is a good thing, that someone should be deciding that, or a group of people should be deciding somehow what it is that I'm supposed to believe. But what is at stake here is the real Jesus. Teaching is actually the only qualification for an elder that is not character-based. Now, that doesn't need to mean they need to be fluent in preaching, but it does, mean, it does mean they need to know the Bible. They need to know the gospel, and they need to be faithful at teaching that, whether it's one-on-one settings or up here or wherever it is. They need to be faithful in teaching the Bible. If we want to be a disciple-making community that lasts, we need leaders who lead out of the conviction that Jesus, as revealed in Scripture, is the only way to true and everlasting life. And that is increasingly true as we swim in the waters of relativism. We need leaders who are full of character rather than competence. We need leaders who are godly, not just gifted. Gifts from God can actually be used in terrible ways. They can be used to lord it over those entrusted to leaders. We are not looking to adopt the bullish leadership practices of successful businesses. We are looking to the distinct and selfless leadership of Jesus Christ. Those with godly character look at God's people and they don't see them as a means to feed their own success. Good leaders see the church as God does, as his beloved, and so they want to care for them like God does. Here are some of the characteristics that elders and deacons in the Bible are supposed to have. Patient, gentle not quick to anger, not jealous, not a lover of money, rules his house well, above reproach, a faithful husband, sober-minded, vigilant, not a drunk, orderly. We need men and women of the fruit of the Spirit to lead in our churches. And particularly men who are willing to be strong, faithful elders who are full of love and joy 
peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. That's the kind of leaders we're looking for. And we need to have leaders who are about worship, not power. We need leaders who lead to the glory of God, not to find their little corner to exercise power and feed their own ego and self-importance. It is the chief shepherd who we are looking to for our reward, verse 4. The worshipping leader is thinking, one day I'll get to be with him, worshipping him in his presence, and that's where I'm going to receive the crown of life from him. I'm about him. And if they're truly about him, then actually they can be great leaders because they point people to him and to his glory and not to themselves. We need men and women who lead and really mean it when they, when they are leading, that their hearts are for God. And when they say we exist for God's glory and Glasgow's good, they're saying it with all their heart. And we need faithfulness, not outcomes. We need leaders who are far more concerned about the process of Christ-like transformation on the inside of people's hearts than the goal of the kind of driven impressions, goal-driven impressions of what can be seen at a meeting or on a website. The world calls us to focus on outcomes with little attention to process. God calls us to focus on process with little attention to outcomes. More than that, he calls us to focus on people. Real people, real lives, real struggles. Find me a Bible verse that gives us a goal for the number of people that are supposed to be saved. For the the numbers of people sitting in seats. For how many likes we're supposed to have on social media. How many pounds we're supposed to have in the bank. There are none. But I'll show you plenty about sharing the good news about making disciples of Jesus, about loving one another and being generous in heart. Why is it that it's described that way? Why isn't it the outcome that's described? It's because the outcomes are useless if people are not being changed and transformed into the likeness of Christ. That's not to say that they don't want to take the the whole world for Jesus. (laughs) Or that somehow each person that adds up the tally of people saved and growing in Christ doesn't matter. It does. The Bible records those things. But we don't make targets because like the early church leaders in 1 Corinthians 3, we see Paul and Apollos there are the leaders that, are get, that have been used to plant and to water. But who grows it? God grows it. Our, our duty, our role is to be faithful with what God gives us to do. And then we wait and see if God grows it. If a gardener faithfully prepares the soil, plants the seeds, waters the plants, weeds the earth, and then that summer there's a real drought, or there's a terrible storm that washes away all the seeds, that's not the gardener's fault, is it? That's not down to the gardener. Only God can do that. In so many ways, that's what leadership is like in the kingdom of God. 
our measurement is faithfulness, not the numbers and the outcomes. The other thing that we really need leaders to have is humility. And actually not hypocrisy. We need leaders to lay themselves down before God and live holy lives. Not people who say uh, one thing and then do another when no one's watching. And that begins with their own devotion and their own love for God. And that's why actually when when, uh, we're leading, we want to have really strong relationships with other leaders in the church so that we can then be open and vulnerable and honest and so that they can see our lives. That's why we're very careful about eldership, particularly eldership, but all leaders in the church, ministry leads as well. Because we don't want to just throw people in when we don't really know them. They could look great on the surface, but until we really know them, we can't give them the responsibility of leading, of shepherding the flock. People need to be genuinely humble and not hypocritical, consistently living their lives to the glory of God. That means laying themselves down before His throne and really honoring God in, in their lives. Doesn't mean they won't make mistakes, of course they will. But it does mean that time and time again, they keep coming back to Jesus for their source of strength. They trust in Him. They're not trying to do it their own way and ending up with a hypocritical life, one that flip flops and is up and down all the time. Latin American theologian Rennie Padilla was visiting different towns and cities, sharing the gospel with the English pastor and theologian John Stott. Some of you know him. And um, I love this little story. You've maybe heard it before. But the night before he uh, he arrived in a place called Bariloche in Argentina, uh, there was really heavy rain. And uh, they were out on the the muddy streets, and their shoes were absolutely caked in mud. The next morning, when he woke up, he heard a brush. He's going, what's that? Who's that? What's going on? And he turned, turned over and John Stott, this great pastor, respected theologian, was brushing his shoes. He says, John, what are you doing? Rene, he answered, Jesus taught us to wash one another's feet. You don't need me to wash your feet, but I can brush your shoes. Those are the kind of leaders we're looking for. The ones who are happy to pick up a box. They don't need to be with the big leader in the room. Who can talk to, who will talk to the person who's not going to give them anything back in return. Those are the kind of leaders we want. If we want the link of trust to be strong in the chain of leading and following in the church, we require leaders who aim for Christ-likeness. Those who lead relationally, with godly conviction and character, who lead in worship, even if their singing is out of tune, and lead faithfully and with humility. So that's leaders. But what about followers? Well, I actually, first thing to say here is that we actually all lead in some way too. In the same way that we're all followers in some way, we all lead. In the kingdom of God, we're supposed to have influence, kingdom influence. The Great Commission to go make disciples of every nation is not just for leaders. We are a priesthood of all believers. 
access to God's presence. We can hear his voice. He speaks to us. He reveals things to us. We're all supposed to be used in the growth of the kingdom of God. We're supposed to lead in some way. So whether you have a title, a position, or not in the church, you have influence. And the question is, what do we do with that influence? The 11th century Norse explorer Leif Erikson, or Leif the Lucky, which I much prefer, is credited with saying this. I have no idea if he actually did say it or not. He's credited with it. We are all leaders, whether we want to be or not. There is always someone we are influencing, either leading them to do good or away from good. And that's especially true for Christians. You've been empowered by the Holy Spirit and sent out in mission for God. And each of us is part of God's most potent weapon on the earth, his church. Now that's a responsibility that is shared. Each of us has influence in the church and in the places we are living out our lives. And that's why we've been saying again and again and again during this Partnership of the Heart series, please don't just respond immediately with, yeah, but what are the leaders doing to make us more like this? Oh, they just need to do that. They just need to do this. Start with yourself because you have influence. You have ability to lead and change because you are the church. Let's keep doing that in our discussions, especially in Grace Communities throughout the week. It is so helpful if we can share the responsibility and not do what everyone out there wants to do with all these other organizations and just do the easy thing and just give it back to the leaders. We all share this responsibility. How am I being the church? Yes, there comes a time where leaders must be accountable for the way in which we're doing this, how we're leading it. Of course there is. But it must begin in our own hearts if we want to go together. George Eliot in her novel, Felix Holt, said, Everything's wrong, says he. That's a big text. But does he want to make everything right? Not he. He'd lose his text. I'm going to say that again. Everything's wrong, says he. That's a big text. But does he want to make everything right? Not he. He'd lose his text. In other words, you can almost have an identity kind of wrapped up in, I would do this, I would do that, I would do that. I know better, I know better, I know better. But then when it comes to how do I make that change, how do I help to do that, how do I take on some of the responsibility of that, suddenly we don't like it because we lose some of what it means for us to be sitting on the margins and criticising. It's easy to look on critically, it's difficult to take on responsibility. Just like the way we welcome and we serve and we care, how we follow says something important about us and about God too. So, when we follow, we lead. The question is, what kind of followers do we want to be? All right, I'll be fast. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13 says this. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Here's the first thing I want to say about us being followers. We are affectionate and not distant. Hold your leaders in the highest regard and love, it says in verse 13. So some of us 
Uh, we're uh, at Grow Together last week, which is an extraordinarily helpful time with Terry Virgil, who began this wider movement of churches we are part of called New Frontiers. And he was talking about how he was out at a conference in the States, and uh, he was just worshipping as he normally would as part of this conference. And all these Americans who were around him at this conference were going, Terry, what are you doing? This is amazing. What are you doing with us? They couldn't... That's a good accent. Terrible, wasn't it? So sorry. Don't know why I did that. I'm so sorry if you're American. Um, and, and actually, what he, he was shocked the other way. What do you mean? Like, of course I'm worshipping with you. Like, I'm part of God's people. I want to worship with you. I want to worship in the midst of God's people. All the other speakers were in something called a green room. And Terry, Terry said, I couldn't get over it. They thought that they could lead by just getting on a stage. No! That's the opposite of what we want. And actually, that's in so many ways a part of why we want to have sm- think about having smaller congregations around the city than just one, building one big, large congregation. I think it'd be so helpful if we can all know, at least on some level, who our leaders are, so we have some kind of relationship with them. It's, it's fascinating when you think of what Paul says in the New Testament about the people he's ministering with. Things like he eagerly desired to see them. He gives thanks for them. He prays passionately for them. It's life on life. And that's the way it's supposed to be in the church. Christian communities should be totally different. Leaders lead from within, not from above. You know, I think some of the motivation there is an attempt to keep the facade of leadership performance in view without showing weakness. But the Bible's approach is to even delight in our weaknesses because it's, it shows the power of God. And that comes back to what it means to be a follower. It means to be a follower as part of the church, to have grace for one another and actually to see the power of God in, in the way that God is using those leaders and not them. That makes us radically different. That means that we don't have to have perfect leaders. It also means that we can see them tired and we can help them and love them because they need love. Second thing is I, want to see, I want us to see is that we should be honoring our leaders as followers, not having contempt for them. Acknowledge their work among you. I got a card recently from Grace Kids thanking me for caring for our church and it hit me in the gut. It's just not our practice though, is it? To be thanking one another, honoring one another, honoring our leaders. So we don't expect it. But when it comes, it it really does mean a lot. Culture says leaders are fair game and to say anything we like about them. As soon as they put themselves out there, they can become the butt of our jokes. We can make TikTok uh, videos about them. We can humiliate them and scoff at what they say. But God's church should be radically different from that. A community who sees each other in the light of God's love and grace. Who believe that our leaders are appointed by God to shepherd us towards Jesus. So when they teach the Bible, we listen for what God is saying through them. When they lead, we look to follow. When they admonish, verse 12, correct us, our instinct is to listen and not respond with the individualistic cry of, How dare they? 1 Timothy 5.17 says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, 
especially those who, whose work is preaching and teaching. It's especially important in this day and age that we look to our leaders who are teaching and working hard they're trying to understand the text and preach the Bible faithfully to us that we are, we need, we need as a community to be helping one another to see the importance of that task. Especially as we look at how the world continues to scoff at what we believe and is disregarding truth at an alarming rate. Hebrews 13, 7, follow their good example. And then actually the passage that we're looking at in 1 Peter 5 about leadership, uh, we see there too that it goes on to talk about humbly submitting to your leaders. So let me just give you a few examples of how I think we can honor our leaders well. I'm going to give the example of ministry leads. Now our ministry leads are those who lead teams on a Sunday morning or are leading grace communities throughout the week, okay? So in other churches, they might be called, might have more of like a deacon kind of role. Um, I'm not saying that it's exactly the same. It's not, but it's similar if you want to have something that a reference point to try and understand. If you say you're going to do something, please try and do it. <laughs> it's not an option. You're, you're supposed to stick to your word. It's a really good way of honoring your leaders. Turn up when you're supposed to. So if it's a 9 a.m. set up time, I know it's early, I know it's Sunday, I know that's a tough call, but it's not a massive sacrifice when we think about what we're about and what we're doing. Let's look to try and be on time for people. It's a great way to love and honor someone. It says you value them and it says you value their time. Don't just consider your own task, but be constantly thinking, how could I help them lead? Let me give you an example of that. Um, we, Lindsay and I, lead a, a grace community, and Joe and Carla, sorry to single you out wherever you are, they're extraordinary. Always willing to do whatever needs done to try and help make our grace community happen and make it a warm and inviting place. And we just need more and more people like that who are willing to say, stick up their hand and say, hey, is there anything I can help you with? I realize there's like a lot on you guys. How, how can I help you? Another way is to ask how they are. Ask how they are. So if we want this to be relational, that means you don't just expect them to feed you and give you things all the time. You also look to encourage and build them up. How is it that you have recently encouraged and built up a leader in the church? I'm not just talking about elders. I'm talking about your ministry leads or anybody else who is leading you in any kind of way. How have you been able to honor them by just asking how they are. And of course, pray for them. Pray for them. And that's the last thing that I want to say here. We want to be prayerful followers, not critics. And someone asked Charles Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers, what the secret of his effective preaching was. He said, my people pray for me. Let me be very, very clear. We need your prayers, those of us who are leading in the church. We need them. It's an imperative. I cannot do this on my own strength. I know Johnny can't do it on his own strength. I know the ministry leads 
who are leading grace communities and teams on Sundays, can't do it in their own strength. We will become quivering wrecks unless we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit and you pray for us. Please do pray for us. And will you especially pray that Jesus is enough and that we rely on the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit for everything that we do. All of us are followers. All of us have influence and lead in some way. And we want to be a disciple-making community of leaders and followers who love one another, honor one another, build one another up, send one another out. And to do that, we need to learn what it is to lead well and follow well. And only then will that link in the chain, that trust that is needed between followers and leaders, be strong and have the strength that it needs to have for us to continue on in mission.